You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and congratulations go out this evening to all the winners at the recent Great Taste Awards, especially Peter Hannan of Hannan Meats, who we spoke to here on the show only a few weeks ago. Hannan's Glenarm Short Horn Four Rib Roast took the coveted title of Supreme Champion and this is the third occasion I think, maybe the second, that one of their products have been recognised at the highest level so they're definitely doing something right there up in County Down with that amazing Himalayan salt chamber In terms of regional winners it was a Dunn's Stores Simply Better All Butter Sticky Toffee Pudding which received the Golden Fork title so I'll be keeping an eye out for that one for sure because it sounds delicious Coming up on tonight's programme, award-winning chef Wade Murphy from Restaurant 1826 Adair is going to join me in the studio shortly to talk about the recent Food & Wine magazine awards. I'll be putting a call into England to chat to Rebecca Burr, editor of the Michelin Guides for GB and Ireland. I head out to Sona's health food shop in Newcastle West to meet Rosemary Bennis to get advice about supplements for children. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be Skyping Tara Foster in Australia to find out about her upcoming adventure around Ireland on a push bike. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. It's always great to hear from you. So, as I said, the first guest this evening is local award-winning chef patron of 1826 Adair, Wade Murphy. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. We had great to have you in the studio this evening. Uh, it's good to be back. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks a million for coming in. No problem. just down the road, but I know you're very busy. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You're not too beat up after electric picnic. Uh, I was a bit weekend. sore yesterday. All right. Now, yeah, a bit tender yesterday, <laughs> but uh, I'm not used to uh, camping and tents. And, uh, but it was great. I, I love going to, I only go to one day. I go on the Sunday, but I, I love going to electric picnic and it's great to catch up with all the guys and have a bit of crack. And no, it's good. It's great. It's great. And you'd meet a lot of your peers. At yeah, absolutely. Something yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. As you would also at the Food and Wine Magazine Awards. Absolutely. There a few yeah, yeah. Weeks ago. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Look, the chef is only as good as their team, you know. So, it's a, it's it's a it's a big team effort. So I'm I'm delighted for all the guys and for everybody. Yeah. No. You must be running out of walls at this stage. <laughs> never, never, never. No. Uh, yeah, it's been quite phenomenal. Um, I think. Uh, Ross Lewis from Chapter One. When I was talking to him at the weekend, he 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 mentioned it to me. He said, "Wade, the um, amount of awards you've won in three and a half years is nothing short of vulgar," um, and that's rich coming from him, you know. But uh, no, it's great. Yeah, it's great for the team. How important is it to you personally to have these awards? Do you know what we don't we don't go looking for them, or we don't you know it's not it's not to be all and end all. A, a full busy restaurant is the most important thing to us, you know, and uh, and. Uh, a good reputation out there amongst your locals and repeat business but you know if awards come if uh, you know uh, you know they uh, brilliant yeah absolutely but you know next year if they start running out and we don't win as much or whatever i'm not going to lose any sleep over and i'm not, not going to worry about it because you know obviously somebody new is going to come along and there's more restaurants opening up and you know it's good for it's good for them to, to get it like, like and as I said we, we don't go looking for them but if they come we'll take them gladly you know <laughs> the competition is fairly fierce oh it's massive I remember when I was moving from from Connacht um, when I was in Liss Lockery down to Munster and I remember turning around to Elaine at the time and I said that's the end of the, of the awards now anyway because uh, Munster's just so tough you know and when you think of the, the, the wealth of talent between you know Waterford, Cork Tipperary, Kerry Clare um Limerick, uh, all the Munster counties. There's some serious restaurants in, and 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 some very very talented chefs in that group. So to come out of it, for the RAI to get best restaurant in Munster three years in a row is just phenomenal. And then we won best restaurant in food in Munster in food and wine uh, last year, and this year we were highly commended uh, in it, which is like second. Uh, Greens in Cork, which is uh, Brian is a good friend of mine, another great really talented young chef one best restaurant and then I picked up the uh, best chef in Monster Gong so you know I was delighted yeah and, and uh, you know it's great it's great for, for everybody 
At the Food and Wine Awards, you had a big role to play because you had to do a citation. A yeah, kind of usually, usually when I go to these uh, these events and they start at half twelve in the day with a champagne reception, I'm uh, I'm all gun ho. But uh, I knew I had a a, a certain job to do uh, this year, and I knew that the girls from Food and Wine had told me that it'd be towards the end. So I took it very easy on the booze, drank lots of water, and yeah, I had to um, read a citation and uh, uh, induct uh, JP McMahon um, from Galway into the uh, Food and Wine Hall of Fame. So it was, I was, I, it was a great honour to be asked to do it, to be honest with you, you know. Um, and uh, no, it was really good. And unfortunately, JP was away. He was at the MAD Symposium in Copenhagen. But his sister was there to pick it up, and I was talking to him actually at, at uh, the picnic uh, on Sunday, and he was delighted, you know, really delighted. I'd say he's he'd be hugely humbled. By oh, very humble, like very, very humbled, and and you know he he's very surprised and but completely humble. But you know that that it, JP is the type of person that that was a week ago. Now what's happening now? You know, it's uh, thanks very much, but onwards and upwards, you know, um, and that's the way he is, and that's that's why he. He, he, he got the recognition that he did because, you know, even Food on the Edge alone, you know, somebody who come up with that idea does, deserved to be just in, in, inducted into the Hall of Fame for that alone, you know. Um, because people might be surprised to hear that JP came to be in, being a chef quite late. In yeah, life. absolutely. I don't mean yeah. He's not old by any means, but it wasn't that he was 17 and went into a kitchen. No, no, no. Did he, did he do like history or anything? I think it doesn't he have. Uh, like yeah, that? he's got. Uh, art history or uh, and 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 uh, he's got degrees coming out he's yin yang you know um for 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 very very intellectual uh non-chef associated type Absolutely, topics you know yeah. but uh no it's, it's just it just shows the amount of commitment that when he comes into the kitchen late like i've been cooking since i was a young chef or a young guy like a young teenager and even with my grandmother and stuff like that and i went to uh, call Brewer Street, but I, I left after two years because I just didn't want to be in a in a college situation. I just wanted to cook, you know. So it, it's great to see people like JP self-taught and other chefs out there, you know, that are 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 actually up there as some of the top people in in our business, you know. I love it when you mention your grandmother because I remember you telling me before that she bought you your first set of knives. Chef's knives, that's right, yeah. When I when I got my uh, course in 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 Carlborough Street in, in in DIT, yeah, my 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 late grandmother bought me my first set of chef's knives, and I still have quite a few of those. Actually, um, I keep them, and some I some I use still in the kitchen. So like, I whenever any day the the young chefs come because we have a knife drawer and we just share all the draw, all the knives and. You know, I have I have so many knives from over the years, so we just share them. And um, whenever any of them take any of the ones out that were my grandmother's, that my grandmother bought me, I'm like, you know, that that knife is older than you, so be careful with it. <laughs> what do you think she'd say to you if she was arranged now? And I'd say she'd be very proud. Yeah, I'd say like I, a lot of my aunts and uncles um, come and visit myself and Elaine, and I get I get huge. It's 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 really what I really re- I enjoy is is I get a lot of visitors from Gory who come down and stay in a, in Adair and stay in the area to come and eat in eighteen twenty six. So and that includes a lot of my my mum's brothers and sisters and all. And they they always tell me how how proud she would have been, you know, if she had seen it, you know. That's so, nice. Ah, it's, yeah, it's lovely. It's really nice. Really nice. And speaking of young chefs, the EuroTalk Young Chef just launched today. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Right. So this year's one just for the online application just launched today you can check it out on the Eurotalks website if you want want any any good seriously talented young Limerick chefs around that would be interested in going it's a great competition I've been involved in it now for the last four years um, and it, it really is good for the chefs to see you get to meet some of the top chefs in the country and then we always bring over a guest chef judge every year and uh, this year it's probably one of the best fish chefs in the world Nathan Outlaw is the guest chef fabulous yeah. he opened food in the edge yeah. last year and he's coming back again this year yeah. he was a brilliant person to yeah. open it yeah. and, and I've I met him several times I actually was over in his uh, 
restaurant in in the Capital Hotel in London there a few weeks back. So uh, I keep in touch with him on Facebook and stuff. So he's the guest chef judge this year. So for the final event in November, so that'll be really good, really really good. So but the the lead up to it, even even not getting into the top five, we've changed it up a little bit this year, and there'll be a skills test before we pick the five finalists, and so it'll be it'll give people a better chance to to get to do some cooking before they actually get to the final event which is you know when when, when you've got a, a competition that 50 60 young people apply to we just logistically we i'd love to get them all to cook because you know you're going to miss it by by narrowing it that by dwindling it down in the different stages that we do you, you you're guaranteed you're going to miss out on one really good chef or two really good cooks you know which is it's unfortunate but that, that's the way it works you know well you must keep us posted about oh absolutely that. yeah 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 in the meantime thanks for coming in tonight and congratulations again thanks a million i'm delighted cheers chin chin salut Thanks again and congratulations to Weed and continued success in Ireland's prettiest village of Adair in West Limerick. Still to come tonight, I head out to Sona's health food shop in Newcastle West to meet Rosemary Bennis to get advice about supplements for children. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be Skyping Tara Foster in Australia to find out about her upcoming adventure around Ireland on a push bike. Next, though, we're heading over to the phone to talk to Rebecca Burr, who is the editor of the Michelin Guide for GB and Ireland. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rebecca, thanks for taking the call this evening. Pleasure. We're very interested to start off talking about the history of the Michelin Guide and how it all came about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful story, really. It was um, started by the Michelin brothers in France over 100 years ago, their love of gastronomy. And they wanted to make a, a little guide that they gave to people that were buying tyres to, to help them stop along the way where to eat, um, where to where to stop, where to get their car fixed and things like that. It was given away free for people buying their tyres. And it's just grown into this um, fantastic collection of guides covering oh, 28 countries at least. And, um, you know, it's become the specialist arm of the Michelin tyre um, company. And, um, you know, it's just it's, it's a wonderful addition. And, but, you know, humble beginnings started off, um, you know, as a family passion. So at the very start then, they obviously were enjoying the cuisine at a number of these eateries themselves, personally. Oh, yeah, very much. I mean, you know, French gastronomes of their time um, and, um, you know, certainly all the heritage of the guides that started in France. And, uh, yeah, so they were the ones that, you know, wanted to make this independent guide. Um, They wouldn't allow places to pay to be included. And we very much follow that philosophy to this day. So 100 years plus later, here we are. It's a beast in itself, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's a manageable beast, a nice beast. Um, you know, we're very fortunate. We're very careful where we expand and um, the places we put in our guide. We're very selective. Um, you've probably heard about the Michelin stars. And whilst that is a big part of our guide, um, most highly publicized, we have lots of little restaurants, pubs, B&Bs and small hotels that are working very hard behind the scenes and they're also included in our in our selection. So places still can't pay to go in. And we want people to pick up the guide, go away for the weekend and go and try different places. Well, let's talk about the Michelin stars because you can get one, two or three stars as the ultimate accolade. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, very much so. And um, they, they differ Slightly, it's always about the food, regardless of it, whether it's one, two, or three stars. For three stars, we're looking for the ultimate experience, and chefs that are making uh, or preparing that type of food at three-star level will not have it in a, in a shabby restaurant. Um, we'll, we'll say that. But certainly at two stars, we're looking for more of a personality, a signature style. One star, you can be a very good replicator uh, um, of food. And, um, you know, but also there are places that still have their own style. But it's always about the food, good value for money, consistency, good quality of ingredients. Because there are some very unusual venues, isn't there a Tokyo subway? 
That's right. Yes, yeah. It's a very hard-working sushi chef. That's um, yeah. He's um, you know, in a in an underground subway with just um, I think it's about a handful of um, seats. I haven't been, but I know some people in my team have been. Um, and yeah, just superb quality ingredients. I think you pay accordingly. Um, you can be in and out in in a. In a, in a second, I mean, it's not a, an all-evening experience, but um, I believe the sushi is absolutely world-class. Something I would yearn, I'll yearn to try for, or it'd certainly be on the bucket list, I'd say. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's really how restaurants have become um, now. that they're, they're treated very much as, as, you know, going out for a theatre or an opera or something. People save up. They've got a tick list of places they want to go and experience and actually these include places all over the world now there are lots of people that know a lot about food and it's an important part of their life and um, you know we hope with the Michelin Guide we can take out all that guesswork we've got independent professional inspectors who pay their own bills know where to go they've seen the selection around the world whether that is Tokyo Dublin London Barcelona and they know the standard we're looking for so we're looking for that consistency across our collection and they are anonymous people do not know who these inspectors are no I mean generally not and we try our utmost to try and get in undetected Um, we used to do an announced visit every sort of 12 to 18 months we're doing that a little bit less now because you know the inspectors we invest in them we want them to stay with us for a while and you know if they come to you know a little county in Cork they're going to be recognised and we don't want special treatment we just want to pay our bill and get the same treatment as everybody else but um, yeah then they're, they're not known and we try not to book but um, you know in some restaurants you've got to yeah, sure. saying that though mm-hmm. lots of people do and we're not always alone but people do go and eat out now you know on their own they don't just hide in the hotel and have room service they want to go out and experience you know very good restaurants there is a movie out there at the moment called Burnt. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. With Bradley Cooper in it. I just saw it there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know what you thought of it. But, I mean, in it, they had, this is the way the Michelin inspectors are. There will be two of them. They'll ask for a glass of water. They'll put a, a fork on there, a piece of cutlery on the floor. How true is that? Oh, I can't. It was a fun film, wasn't it? But I must admit, I watched it in horror and thought, no, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. No, we don't. And I suppose they, they played it up a little bit for the sake of the film. I think, I mean, what the film did portrayal is the hard work behind the scenes of the chefs and the passion and the camaraderie. And I think that was brilliant. But we certainly don't behave that way. And about, you know, I can't remember the last time I dropped a fork. We certainly don't go into the habit of it. If we if we have ever done that, it's an accident. That's, you know, that's, that's not the sort of trick we play uh, we don't we don't have a system we you know places are different these days we don't go in with a set formula gosh our, our work would be very boring if we did that and um, no no we don't but it, it caused us a chuckle I must admit and we we did put out a tweet saying no we don't do that <laughs> but there was a time if I'm if my memory serves me correctly that a Michelin star restaurant would have been very much about the white linen table cloths and the linen napkins and there was a, a, like an air of exclusivity to it. It was very expensive to dine in one of those restaurants. But now they have become more affordable. I suppose it's the competitive times we live in now. But also the decor and the the furniture and the ambience and everything ca- varies immensely from one restaurant to another. It does, and that's what makes our work so interesting because they do, I mean, we're in an exciting times at the moment. I mean, I think, it, you know, it's the restaurants that have changed, not us. We change with them. Um, if anything, you know, we change a little bit before them. Actually, with some of our, our our new stars that we award every year, people think, oh, God, I never thought Michelin would recommend a star there. They haven't got tablecloths. They haven't got an army of waiters. But that's not necessary. Um, I mean, it would be unfair to not recognize places like that if the food's good enough but you know we change with the times we always have but we're observers of what's going on in the restaurants and we're very blessed here in ireland we have a number of michelin star restaurants now how times have changed Mm -hmm. and two new stars in northern ireland last year yeah it was it was a really good year um, particularly for belfast last year 
Um, you know, it was a long time coming. Belfast's always been a very buoyant, um, exciting and vibrant city to dine in. And I think last year, both um, Ox and Epic, they, they just upped their game. I think they knew they had competition in the, in the city. Um, you know, it was an extraordinary year. And um, certainly for Ireland, you've got a nice scattering, scattering of stars. I mean, I think there really is room for, there's room for more, um, you know, because, it, it, you know, it's important, obviously, for the areas. But, you know, they're still, they're on a par with areas and cities around the world. So um, I think there's still room for improvement. But I think, you know, that there are some fantastic restaurants and they've been very consistent, and particularly in Dublin over the years there's been you know there was really room for for a little bit more to happen there so yeah fantastic we we enjoy coming to ireland we cover the whole length and breadth of it um you know wherever we can and um yeah you know it's a really important part in our guide and what advice would you give to a restauranter and a chef listening tonight that is aspiring for that star and is working hard towards it Oh, you know that's that's so nicely put because, you know, I think I think the fact they're interested is, you know, we, we, we you know we're encouraged by that. We would just say, you know, have a successful business, do the sort of food your your customers want and that you want to prepare, and just take it step by step. Don't be too adventurous too soon. Um, make sure they're tried and tested recipes that people are paying their hard-earned money for, and make sure they're offered on a consistent basis. And you know, just 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 look for that continuity, really, um, good value for money, and you don't always have to break the mould. You know, you can just, you know, just just go and visit some of the restaurants and and and, and have a look. Um, you know, try and get out and and see the different places. But you know, just be true to yourself, really, and and cook what you want to do. Market research is so important because I think a number of chefs do get so bogged down with being in the kitchen all the time that they don't take that time to go out and about and experience other restaurants and learn from other chefs and other restaurateurs. Well, you know, it's a very hard business to be in. You've got staff to look after and make sure they're doing the work correctly. You've got, you know, rates and a business to run and then the cooking as well. So we appreciate it's hard work and all, all we can do as, you know, from Michelin's point of view is to support the restaurants, put them in the guide and hope we can send them some custom. But at the star level, we are really looking for consistency because we, you know, we want the stars to be there for a few years. We want um, our readers to feel that they've, you know, got a re- reliable selection. And also for the business, if we get into the habit of, taking stars away one year and giving them back they just would look inconsistent so um you know we try and refrain from that now it's usually around the autumn time that you announce who has retained their star and any new stars and yeah. this year you're doing it a bit differently tell us uh, tell us how you're going to, to do it this year Yes, we are a little bit differently. We're having um, a small event in London uh, as a press launch. Um, These have proved very successful in other countries, um, namely America, Spain, and and latterly France and the Netherlands. And, you know, it's it's an important time of the year. For us, it's a culmination of a year's work. Um, We're investing in the inspectors, you know, making all these different visits around the country and also for the businesses, um, you know, being awarded a star. So, so yes, it's something a little bit different this year and I hope it will be a great success. It's being held on a Monday when we know lots of restaurants are closed. (laughs) So that's that's important. And, um, you know, it's just a small gathering and hopefully um, a little bit of press from that, you know, for the restaurants. And it's, it's an important time. I have just one final question for you before you go, and that is, how does one become an inspector? How does one apply for that job, Rebecca? Are you you interested? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) To go and dine at all these fabulous restaurants. What a job. Well, it is. It is. And we do have people that stay for a long time because um, they're not restricted to one particular area and they could find themselves working in Cornwall, Tokyo or Donegal. You know, it really does vary. And I think it's the mix that people 
people like? I mean, we're looking for people that have had some sort of formal training at a hotel school, um, whether that's on the management side or, or, or as a chef, and preferably the latter, actually. Uh, we like more hands-on experience, and then experience in the industry, and then we're looking for people to be very flexible, mobile, inquisitive, um, you know, understanding, supportive, um, energetic and um, that's it we don't have any vacancies at the moment I'm afraid but, well if you uh, do need somebody go- to go to that <laughs> Tokyo subway sign me up immediately I promise well unfortunately it's not just that I mean that's the that's the top of the selection but there's lots of other places to go to in between I, I'm driving lots of nights away on a blowy cold winter's night that aren't quite as appealing when you don't want to get in your car and drive to a drive to a pub in the middle of nowhere so it's a bit of a mix but um, it's a very interesting job and it's all-encompassing. And I always say the inspectors have the, the more responsible role than, than me. I, I put it all together, but they are out seeing the places first of all and they're determining whether somewhere is worth following for a star and that's you know is crucial. So um, we're looking for really focused and experienced people. Well, it has been very interesting talking to you this evening. Thanks so much for joining us here on the programme and we look forward to those announcements later on this year. Oh, thank you for your interest and good questions. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've been talking to award-winning chef patron Wade Murphy from 1826 Adair. And just before the break, I was chatting to the editor of the Michelin Guide for GB in Ireland, Rebecca Burr. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on SharonNoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I'll be Skyping Tara Foster in Australia to find out about her upcoming adventure around Ireland on a push bike. But before that, I'm taking you out to the heart of Newcastle West to get some advice about children's supplements from Rosemary Bennis in Sonus Health Food Shop. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Rosemary, we're in the Sonus Health Food Shop here in the heart of Newcastle West. And this time of the year, when children are going back to school, they're getting back into routine, they're getting out of the way of eating maybe all the sweets and treats that they had over the summer and getting back into the schoolwork. So the brain needs to be fresh and ready to go. And you have a number of tips for us and different supplements just to make sure that we're doing as much as we possibly can for them. That's right, Sharon. Yeah, there's definitely a few key things you could include in sort of a family programme or a kids' programme. And actually, there's lots of things here we'd be talking about for children but really for mums and dads and anyone in the family it can be kind of a family wide thing and then it doesn't become this battle to make the kids have it you know sometimes kids will mimic what mum and dad are doing so there's a couple of things that maybe everyone could have as well well let's start about the brain development and keeping the brain in the best possible shape because I believe fish oils are very good for that yes indeed yes indeed I of all things I would really prioritize um, if you were to, to take one supplement for a child I would prioritize fish oils and um, obviously if you can have the real food source and have oily fish several times a week that's the that's the ideal depends on how your family eats it depends what the child likes habits all the rest so if you're not going for a sardine salmon herring mackerel um yeah i said salmon what else the fish oh, fingers aren't they're, enough they're not the white fish won't won't do it and the fish fingers aren't enough yeah even though like the white fish is still really good a good food mm. but if you're not getting three portions or more of oily fish a week from your local fishmonger or wherever then I would really really consider um, a, a fish oil supplement and I would say that for anyone in the family but particularly from the age of 0 to 5 because that's the time the brain and nervous system undergoes the most growth and development that it will, it will ever do in our whole lifetime so if you think about it it's a huge foundational time so um, fish oils are actually the building blocks for our brain that's actually a simple way to say it. Our brain is 60% fat, and that fat is not chip fat, and it's not burger fat, and it's not um, butter, even though there's no problem with butter. But um, the fats are essential fatty acids that are collectively called omega-3s. 
and they are found in oily fish. They're also found in green veg, actually. So there are some plant sources, but if the body sort of has to do a little bit of conversion, work with plant sources, and so sometimes I would say lean towards the, the fish source, but do include your green veg, so your, your kale, your broccoli, your spinach, your chard, your cabbage, the greens get it as well. So an ideal would be a lovely piece of salmon, wild if you can, and um, with some greens on the side, nice bit of fried potato with it, gorgeous dinner, and you know it would fulfil all the kind of requirements as well as tasting really well. And of course, in an ideal world, that's what families would be sitting yeah. down to eat, and the children would smile happily and gobble it up, and there'd be no issues. But sadly, that is not the case. Yeah. So there are supplements there that they can take. Indeed, and that's the reality as well. So the supplements will give you that kind of insurance value. You can say, well, at least I know they're getting this in. And there is a lot to be said as well about consistency and dosage. A hit or miss here and there doesn't do much, whereas a small amount regularly over a period of time is shown in research to have the best effects. And this would be, and I'm, I'm not talking about making your children brainy, but there is a lot of, there's an essence in the salmon of knowledge tale. And it is really about actually how, how the essential fats in, wild, in, in, in oily fish feed the brain cells. Not in making you smarter, but certainly in terms of memory retention, focus, recall, um, adherence to, to, to sort of boundaries, all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of research done on actual, chil- say, children with um, attention deficit disorder and behavioural areas. But quite apart from that, just your regular child at home with no particular issue, it's a great, great thing. And I would give it to them from really from six months. Well, as soon as they're on solids, I would give it to them. So we can go through a couple of supplements if you like. Just before mm. we do that now... Older people then and pregnant people with the baby brain, is this something that yeah. can help them as well? Yeah, a great question, Sharon, because this is where it comes into like actually, re- you know, remedying and support for the whole family. Um, there is um, baby brain, which is a kind of a, a term that we've come to accept. And every, it exists, it I exists. know it does. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> and women know it. Yeah, and men know it as well. Um, happens because in utero, when your baby's growing inside, inside a woman's womb, um, nature's way is to give everything that the, the new generation needs to feed and to, and to have the best possible start. So the raw material is coming from mum's stores, stores of fat, stores of minerals, stores, stores of nutrients. So mum gets depleted. If her stores are not adequate or topped up, she feels depleted. So usually by the third trimester, mum has kind of gone, oh, I put the keys into the fridge instead of on the table oh, I I came home without getting the essentials that I knew I had to get. All these kind of things that seem silly, they're not actually. What's happening is that mum's stores are effectively being robbed or drained by baby, which is nature's way, um, and you wouldn't have it any other way. But what I would be very concerned about, and it's a real passion of mine actually, is to look after the well-being of mum both while baby's in utero and also after post-birth because it's really, really important that mum replenishes her stores because there is evidence to show that postnatal depression has a direct link to the nutritional stores in mum. So it's it's very interesting and someone uh, you know, can make that link themselves of how they felt during the pregnancy and how they felt after. So... I hope it won't be too long before recommended um, supplementation during pregnancy will not just be folic acid and vitamin D. In fact, it's not even vitamin D at the minute, but it will include, along with folic acid, it will be omega fish oils, vitamin D and probiotics because those key nutrients feed mum's stores, which are then drawing drawn towards baby in utero. And then when baby's born, mum isn't depleted. So to meet the challenges that a new baby brings. So this huge need for that. Um, and your second part of that question was for elderly or older generation absolutely because again I guess there is a deterioration of brain cells brain gray, mm. gray matter and again it has been shown along with in 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 in, in support with supported by the B vitamins huge research showing um, for say the, the whole Alzheimer's uh, spectrum we'll say generation of brain function if you call it that which there is a broad spectrum um, now, and it isn't always older age either it cannot have an earlier onset but there's a massive um, role for nutritional support there B vitamins in addition with um, essential fatty acids so like there's no real gap there's no real age that you don't need them mm. and not to mention busy 30 40 year olds you know with a kind of a, an insufficient diet and a lot of stress and strain and meeting a lot of modern life needs I think it's really really helpful they're not particularly as well for mood and depression um, very very important and again there's very good research showing that um, uh, people who would take um, SSRIs the kind of broad spectrum antidepressants actually work better in the presence of omega-3 fish oils so like there's no reason not to um, 
then that's not, I'm, I'm focusing on brain health but then if you look at the anti-inflammatory benefits as well it's a natural anti-inflammatory and blood thinner so that means your blood circulation is better that means everything is performing better and joint inflammation skin inflammation irritated gut lining all really really commonplace problems there's a role for fish oil in all of that so the only time you wouldn't take it is if you're on a medication that like is, is, is excludes it such as warfarin or high strength blood thinners but apart from that cardiovascular health inflammation joint health brain health mood health pre uh, prenatal care postnatal care you name it it's an all-rounder it's an all-rounder yeah well you have a specific product here it's an eskimo product we have this at home now and it's it's for children yeah to children yeah there's a blend there would be a sort of a leaning towards a particular proportion for children but there's nothing no harm at all in getting an adult size bottle and just giving baby quarter teaspoon five or six year old half a teaspoon and mum and dad at a full teaspoon and granny or granddad at a teaspoon i know it sounds like the waltons but i mean that is the fact you can actually have it a broad spectrum and it works a good value that way though there is the children's one um, children tend to like um, orangey flavours lemony mm. flavours not lemon orangey or strawberry so they tend to have a lot of these added in now having said that you can just squirt it into some juice and some kids if you start them early enough they just get used to it but there's nothing you can't mix it into so you can be creative with it as well and child again it becomes a little routine and if they see you taking it it becomes a thing you know, yeah. yeah. Um, so this particular brand, Eskimo, is very good. We have several other brands. I w- you know, I, I stock really good brands. I would say, or in terms of value, um, if it's too cheap there's a reason now there's some great value products you can get and a lot of it is maybe might be in the marketing or the branding but being honest with fish oils you pay for what you get for. so if you're getting a one a day capsule at 399 sounds great but it won't have the levels that you need for therapeutic effect okay that's all yeah and this is very well packaged in my view because it's it's very child friendly type yeah packaging. it's nice it's pretty and it's kind of fun there's fishes and there's a seal and yeah it's nice and a child of five six upwards can take control of that themselves do you know it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a handy little thing so yeah it is good and and there's a there's um particular proportions in it that suit children um so yeah i mean normally a teaspoon a day capsules version two there's a soft gel that you can pop some kids love doing that so there's all sorts there and you can just try it and the other supplement you mentioned is a probiotic, or is that a yeah. supplement? It is a supplement, yeah, it is a supplement. Probiotic means pro, like pro-life, really, it's a, it's a weird way of saying it, I suppose, but biotic is for living. And what it means is that um, it has live cultures that feed the gut cells. Um, it's now known that our immune system isn't sort of randomly around our body or at our throat or anything, or in our glands. It's actually located, 90% of it's in our gut, gut lining. So that's why tummy health and digestive health has a massive impact on our immune system and probiotic cultures which are like we call them say yogurt cultures because that's what a lot of people would know best um, are absent in our diet today prior say fado fado we would have had buttermilk from raw milk that was our soured milk that was a natural source of it <coughs> other cultures would have had fermented vegetables excuse me vegetables now that's less and less likely and modern food processing doesn't allow for the full culturing of yogurt it doesn't give time for the cultures to develop so i'm not knocking organic natural yogurt it's still good but it could be better um but uh, to get a decent therapeutic shot a capsule of a, of a good probiotic supplement is brilliant for any tummy troubles any digestive complaints any sluggishness in the bowel but crucially as well for feeding the immune cells that then help you fight off bacteria viruses bugs parasites really really helpful great for a child who is prone to kind of runny nose you know random infections sore throat they're not very bad but they're kind of sniffly that's a great idea and particularly as well if you've been on a kind of a cycle of antibiotics you're kind of on the back foot then and the child's resistance is lowered and because the antibiotic while it will kill off the offending bug it will also kill off your store of arm your army of good good bugs and what the probiotic does is it balances it so do they need to take the probiotic then when they're taking an antibiotic Great as, question. or and just do. after it? Yeah, the thinking even about five years ago would have been that like, we'll take it as soon as you get off it, as soon as you finish. But now it's known and research has shown it that the 
immediate kind of impact of getting in getting in with your probiotic it actually acts as a layer of protection against the, the damage that an antibiotic can do to your gut integrity so get on it straight away just take it at a different time of the day and again that applies to children and adults absolutely it's a protocol for everyone so especially you know anyone with an ongoing I don't know urinary tract infections or chest infections where you have you know the first antibiotic didn't work and you need a second stay on your probiotic and stay on it for a while again research shows that it takes a long time to re- rep to recuperate your store um, and they're very very helpful and people see great benefit with children particularly okay fantastic well listen thanks for telling us about those so just to summarize then the two products that you're recommending are yeah the two I've highlighted over any would be a fish oil an omega-3 fish oil uh, there's several brands in different forms and a probiotic which is good bacteria for the tummy and for the immune system and you welcome anybody to come in to, uh, to ask for advice and you can help them out absolutely that's what we're here for great thanks Rosemary hey pleasure you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, we got some great advice about supplements from Rosemary Bennis in Sonus Health Food Shop in Newcastle West. And earlier in the programme, we were talking to award-winning chef patron Wade Murphy from 1826 Adair and the editor of the Michelin Guide for GB in Ireland, Rebecca Burr. If you are just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on SharonNoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download Download it on iTunes or use your podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's one that I recorded by Skype last week. Tara Foster will have landed in Dublin this morning, all being well. Hello, Tara, and welcome to Ireland if you're listening. She's spending the next three months travelling around Ireland on a push bike and she needs your help to get the most out of our fantastic Irish hospitality. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Tara, thanks for joining me by Skype. Thanks for having me. You're ready for your bed, I'd say. What time is it there in Australia? Oh, it's well, it's 7.30 at the moment. Oh, it's not too bad. Okay, not too bad. And um, by the time this airs and the listeners are listening, you will be in Ireland. That's right. I think I will be in uh, Dublin at this time. So tell us why you're coming to Ireland. Uh, well, I just kind of wanted a challenge. I just wanted to just, you know, hop on a bike and see where it took me. Um, I'm, I'd met someone who told me this great story how he's bicycled from Sydney all the way to Melbourne. And uh, it's about a thousand Ks and just kind of told me this amazing journey of where he camped and where he went and all the cool people he met. And um, after hearing that story, it really kind of sat with me and I thought about it a lot and then I thought, wow, how cool would it be to do an adventure like that? And then also my favorite book is by Tony Hawks who went around Ireland uh, with a refrigerator. So with those two powers combined, I kind of just went, wouldn't it be kind of cool to go around Ireland on a bicycle? Well, it's not just any old bike, no, it's a push bike. That's right. We call them pushies here in Australia. So tell us about the logistics of that. Do you, are you bringing a rucksack? Are you you're traveling lightly or do you have a team of people that are coming along behind you in a van with all the luxuries for you? <laughs> nope, none of that. I'm basically winging it. This is um, pretty much the lightest I've ever traveled. I'm I'm pretty light traveler at the best of times, but um, I'm, I've kind of only got two 17-liter um, panniers and a backpack. And whatever can fit in those bags can, can come everything else gets to stay at home. So my favorite hairdryer has to stay at home. (laughs) Absolutely. That would just be added weight that wouldn't be wanted, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't want the added weight because there's hills and wind. And there are two things that when they're not, when they're pushing on you, doesn't help you when you're trying to go forward. (laughs) What route are you going to follow whenever you're here? You land in Dublin and you head off out of Dublin. Where's your first port of call? Yep. So I'm heading south. The, the first place I'm actually spending a lot of time is going to be in, in Wexford and I'm there for at least a week. Um, but I'm actually going um, through Wicklow, the Wicklow Mountains in Glendalough and then just heading down that way. Down to Cork. Yes. Eventually I'm going to be going down to Cork. Yeah. Tell us why you're going to Cork. Oh, this is good. Uh, I'm actually going to do some um, 
stand-up comedies, uh, but not just any kind of stand-up comedy, space stand-up comedy. So uh, I'm a bit of a space uh, enthusiast. I've done some stuff for NASA and the U European Space Agency, and I was kind of challenged on Twitter to um, try my hand at some space comedy. So that's happening. <laughs> and is that your day job in Australia? Are you a comedian, a full-time comedian, or what do you work at? Oh, I'm far from. I'm actually a TV producer by trade. Uh, but yeah, so this is just something for fun. I'm just winging it. And are you going to be blogging about your experience as you go along? Or are you providing reports regularly back to your people in Australia? Or what's what's the like, why are you doing it apart from just enjoying the, the lovely Irish fresh air? Yep. Well, I've had a travel blog for about three years and I've really, really enjoyed um, having the blog. Uh, and then I kind of discovered the social media world. And then um, I just kind of, I don't know, I just like talking on, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebooking and just talking about everything. So what I'm going to be doing is updating exactly along the way, like my exact location and um, just seeing who's around and who wants to come for either a ride or go to the pub or maybe, you know, go see some sites. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to be tweeting and Instagramming absolutely every single step and, and periscoping. Periscoping is basically like live reporting. So you can kind of see where I am and people can type in and I essentially can answer questions. So I'll be doing that too. It sounds like you're very much putting your root into the hands of the Irish people. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, it's basically, um, it's kind of like one of those adventure books, you know, where it says like turn to page 26 or 42 for whatever experience you want. It's kind of like that. I'm just, I'm basically winging it. Um, and if, if someone has a great suggestion or a challenge, I'm more than happy to take it on and just see where I end up. You know, I, I don't really, I've only got two places I need to be. And that's uh, to go to Cork for this the space stand-up comedy and to be in Galway to um, fight with Manitable Armoured Combat Ireland, um, where I'm going to be a knight. And then after those two things are completed, I'm pretty much free as a bird to just go anywhere. So, um, yeah, it's really up to the Irish people to see where I end up. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about the medieval event in Galway. That sounds very interesting. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Um, this kind of happened, uh, I was on Twitter and we were just kind of bantering back and forth. And then they just basically challenged me and said, Hey, you should come up and fight with us as a knight. And how can I pass up an opportunity to be a knight and wear chain mail and have a sword and have a shield? So I'm definitely going to be taking on uh, this challenge and I'm going to be fighting in the competition and the boys are going to help me out. And, um, yeah, I've never been a knight before. And, you know, it's like a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds fabulous. I'm very intrigued by that. Now, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out to see what you think about all of that. You'll also be looking for beds along the way, I'd say, and nice places to eat. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I'm basically up for anything. Um, Beds and warm showers are fantastic, especially if, um, you know, it's raining. <laughs> it's really helpful. And then food, actually. This is, this is another reason why I decided to bicycle around Ireland, because it allows me to eat whatever I want. So, um, and, and I'm burning calories at the same time, so I can eat double. So it's just great for me to kind of, I guess I'm kind of like tasting my way around Ireland, essentially. Have you been to Ireland before? Uh, yes, I actually, I was in Ireland, but it was about 15 years ago and it was only for a mere two weeks or so. So it wasn't like, I've got memories of it, but it's kind of like, I don't have the, 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 what I'm going to experience, I guess. I, I think I was there, but I didn't experience it. And, um, I think this is just a great opportunity to kind of come back and just kind of really, live and be one with Ireland and, and kind of learn about the people and just, you know, just see it for what it is rather than just being a tourist. I'm kind of like immersing myself into the culture a little bit. 
So in terms of food then, have you any food memories from the last time you were here? Is there anything that you're looking forward to tasting and enjoying on your return? Ah, I think I'd really like some oysters. I think I'd love a real Irish breakfast Um, and sausage. I think they're my top three things that I'm after. Well, I'm sure now there'll be lots of, of places happy to oblige whenever it comes to those three dishes. So two weeks was the duration of your last visit, but this time you're coming for considerably longer. Yeah. Um, at, when I was first deciding on this adventure, I thought, hey, I could do this in six weeks. And then the more I thought about it and the distance and how truly big Ireland is, I kind of went, you know what, I'm going to completely commit myself to this and go for the full three months. And that's all my visa will let me to do. But I think it's actually better that I do come for a longer period of time because then I can just really kind of just live it, you know, be be one with the country. You'll be at one with the weather as well because you haven't picked the best time of the year to come weather-wise. Not that we could promise any better weather in the summer months, but certainly it'll be coming into the, the cooler and colder months of the year. Yeah, I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, I I worked out my contract until August 1. And um, I actually banked as much holiday as possible from uh, my job as well. And I've essentially resigned to do this. So it was just the earliest time I could actually get to Ireland. But but at the same time, I'm missing the whole tourism season. Well, that's true now. And well, I mean, our tourism season is obviously 12 months of the year. It just won't, you just oh, won't true. have the crowds to contend with. <laughs> so tell us what we can do for you then in terms of getting the message out there. How can people follow your, your trip? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, there's probably two really good ways that you can you can find this story. Um, if you just do a search on Twitter, Instagram, or anywhere, and you just do a search for hashtag around Ireland on a pushy, that's one way that you can find me. Or if you use um, my handle, which is at, and then it's just Tara Stralis. And let me just spell it out because I have to be different and it's a little bit hard to spell. And <laughs> But it's T-A-R-A. U-S-T-R-A-L-I-S. And yeah, you can just find me that way. And you're looking for offers of accommodation, of food, of places to visit, of people to hang out with, basically. Yeah, or even challenges. Like if you've got a really awesome challenge, like say, I don't know, you need like someone to exercise a horse or, you know, go for like do a half marathon. I'm up for those kind of cool things. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's lovely to talk to you. Have a lovely flight over and we will definitely have to check in with you whenever you're here. Yeah, that'd be great. Please do. Thank you. And I'd love to come up and say good day. You're welcome anytime. Thanks so much, Tara. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So that was Tara Foster by Skype and keep an eye on her journey on social media using the hashtag around Ireland on a pushy and be sure to suggest lots of challenges to her via www.taraaustralis.com. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, SharonNoonan.com. Thanks so much for listening and to all of this evening's guests, Wyatt Murphy, Rebecca Burr, Rosemary Bennis and Tara Foster. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.